Have you ever asked yourself why people since time immemorial always prayed or meditated? They related to a higher power or a higher meaning through prayer or meditation. As there are different forms of crying, such as sadness crying, happiness crying, manipulation crying, onion crying, so, are, so there are different forms in which praying is done. I can talk about crying as such without regards to each specific forms, and I can talk about praying as such so to speak raw praying without all the simsalabim that can surround it. You try to connect to a higher power and very often ask for a favor, for help, for compassion, for rescue, for peace, and so on. What I'm saying is that you talk to your core, your soul, your CPU, your central integrating system. Now, some people will think that I'm denying the existence of God with this idea. Well, that does not follow. God, whoever that is, first has created this part of us, if you believe in his, her, or its existence. And then the unconscious mind or soul could be like a switchboard with an operator behind it. So I neither think, neither speak for, nor against the existence of God. If God really is the creator of everything, it would be ridiculous for a human to claim complete knowledge of God. It would be ridiculous for a mouse to claim complete knowledge of the universe. But why do we need to have a complete description of God in order to show the existence of God or deny it? We need a complete description of a unicorn to deny its existence, including the horn on his, its forehead. A horse is pretty similar, but it is missing the horn and other intangible things of a mystical nature. As usual, believers or non-believers resort to fighting because both cannot prove their positions. I think that I can prove mine, but that does not oblige you to follow my ideas. My proof might be faulty. Let me give you an example. 7 minus 4 equals 3. 7 minus 6 equals 1. 7 minus 7 equals 0. Now if you ask first, graded, first graders what is 7 minus 10, they will say, we can't do it because you cannot take away more than you have. I say that is true if you deal with marbles. But if you deal with temperatures, we need new numbers which go below zero. 7 minus 10 equals 7 minus 7 minus 3. 7 minus 7 equals zero. So we have 0 minus 3 or 3 below 0, which we can write as minus 3. 
Now you go on and say to the poor students, 4 divided by 1 equals 4, 4 divided by 2 equals 2, 4 divided by 3 is what? We have to solve that problem because at stake is, for example, how much each of these friends get who paid their money for four pizzas. Four pizzas need to be divided in three equal parts. In order to do that, we divide each of the four pizzas into three equal parts. Each part is called a third. One pizza has three thirds. Two pizzas have six thirds. Three pizzas have nine thirds. Four pizzas have twelve thirds. We have three greedy kids. Twelve thirds divided by three is four thirds. So we have four divided by three is four, four thirds. We have fractions now. New numbers. Now another task. A bricklayer gets 16 square tiles of one square foot each. A square foot is a square whose sides are one foot. His task is to add them together into a larger square. The question is, how many tiles are on each side so we will get this larger square? Because the large square measures 16 square feet, we call 16 the area of the square. What we look, uh, what we look for is its side. We call this side the square root of 16. What is it? We put four tiles in the row. That is row one. Above it, row two of another four tiles. Then row three. Then row four. Now we have a square with four tiles on each side. They measure, measure four feet. The square root of 16 is 4. But now, <clears throat> now a bad guy takes one of the tiles away and asks the poor bricklayer to make a square out of them. In other words, the task is to find the square root of 15. The tormented bricklayer has to grind off material along the edges of the squares. But how much? We get new numbers again. We call them real numbers. Now here comes the so-called proof of a mathematician whom he even printed in a book. He wanted to show that infinitely small numbers do not exist. He first defined them as numbers which are smaller than every real number. Then he said, take an infinitely small real number and call it A. Then it has to be smaller than every real number that is smaller than itself. So we have A smaller than A, which is wrong. Therefore, there are no infinitely small real numbers. He did not show that infinitely small numbers, numbers do not exist. He just showed that infinitely small real numbers do not exist. But who says they need to be real numbers? They again could be new numbers needed to solve new tasks. Such numbers are called hyperreal numbers.
you probably never heard of them because they are not mentioned in the usual math classes. Why not? Standard procedures, for example, in calculus would need to be modified. The decision of mathematicians long ago was that there are no infinitely small numbers. They built up calculus for more than, more than 200 years based on this assumption. So it is just easier not to talk about hyperreal numbers. Now here is the gist of all that math talk. Guess how much easier it is for many people not to talk about our unconscious mind, internal regulator, guardian angel, or whatever you might call it. They fear that you might become useless of them. But that fear is unfounded. Why? They think that you might just go off on your own tangent and not cooperate anymore. The bulk of us won't do that because we live in this world with its existing structures and power distributions and need them for jobs. A few go off on their own tangent and create new opportunities. Again, believing in our soul, guardian angel, will cause evolution, not revolution. It will also counterbalance the guys in power, actually for their own good. That is what absolutism, the king with unlimited power, had to learn. It is best better to be flexible instead of rigid. Admit alternative counsel or everything, king included, will break down. If people run away from their jobs, there are good reasons for this happening. No superficial incentives, schemes or consultants will help in the long run. They just compound or shift the problems. Survival becomes more and more difficult for firms. However, there is absolutely no reason why people should not love to go to work. However, management has to really think and make a paradigm shift. Believe me, I already prepared myself to take my so-called insights with me, had not Doris asked me not to do so. I began writing a German podcast, Tri Angel, for my daughter Doris and my granddaughter Elodie. The thickest book I have is the following and was published in 1847 in London. It is an encyclopedia of civil, uh, civil engineering, historical, theoretical and practical by Edward Cressy. C-R-E-S-Y. It has more than 1,600 pages and is beautifully illustrated. Now imagine that you are at a tiny, shabby port in Greece. The encyclopedia tells you that there, there once was a huge naval harbor, palaces, fortification in this place all gone. So I had no intention to fight with idiotic publishers to get my so-called insights published. 
Even if I had succeeded, the book would have had the fate of Christie's wonderful encyclopedia. But Doris's podcast uh, idea made sense, followers or not. The podcasts are for her and her family, and actually also for me. The letter has the same motivation a traveler has who orders his belongings before a long trip. So I have no intention of praising, selling, advertising my ideas. Take it or leave it. I don't care. In the seventh episode of my German podcast, I spoke about Bismarck. An American doctor was interested and asked, German statesman, right? World War I or World War II? Another American openly admitted that he was actually proud of knowing nothing about these foreign idiots. He said that he was interested only in the American Civil War and, in in, and especially in the part the South played. So I said, so obviously you prefer uh, American idiots over German ones. That is very patriotic. He was confused, did not know whether he should take it as a compliment or not. Believe me, I do not intend to brown those people, fall on my knees and beg them to graciously deign to accept my ideas. However, I begin to like to develop my ideas openly. It is more like taking an inventory at the end of my life. It is like opening an old trunk. I rummage around, look at the thing, kind of surprised and say, Wow, look at that! I totally forgot that I had this. Then it is also fun to make certain people live again. The evil sonner who raped my mother and her sister. The Rottweiler Falco who was butchered by sonner. My grandmother. Places that disappeared. The deep south around Christmas in our village. The mountains, the trees, the rivers and creeks full of crystal clear and cold water. So now some of the memories which pertain to my belief about the guardian angel. The first is pretty old. I was about seven years old. It is quite gruesome but I expect that you can take it. This podcast is not for the faint-hearted. The faint-hearted will, will quit anyway and I have no intention to adapt to them and win them over to be my followers. The idea that I present is tough and beautiful. The word beautiful is not meant as boastful. It is more like opening a door to another universe full of wonders, miracles. The toads, criminals, idiots of the old universe are still there, but now even they are enveloped in magic and appear much less pernicious. So now back to the year 1952. Sonner, my step-grandfather, had a butchery on the first floor of the house. There was a tiled room where animals were killed, skinned and dissected. 
In the next room was a table to process the parts. Lungs, kidneys, intestines, brains were cleaned and put on trays to be sold in the shop at the front of the house. There were two big machines with plates and mixers in them to produce the mass to put into sausages, and a smoker for bacon and ham and salami. Then there was a double compartment freezer room with very thick, heavy doors with huge handles to open and close them. I had a very personal experience with it. On Sundays, Sonner used to play chess with his friend Middle. I sat there and watched them. At a particular Sunday, I was with them again and had a crispy white bread bun. My strategy to eat it was to eat the soft inside first and to finish with the crispy outside, which I preferred, and saved for the end to get a good memory of the meal. As I did that, I saw Sonner look away from his game more and more often, which was unusual for him because normally he was very concentrated on it and hated any distraction. But now his face got angrier and angrier, redder and redder. He scowled at me. Then he made a mistake and got punished by middle. He lost his queen. That was it. He jumped up and shouted, I will teach you not to eat the good soft inside first and neglect the crust. I tried to explain that it was the other way around, but he took me by the arms, dragged me to the freezer, opened the first heavy door, pulled me to the second inner door, threw me into the inner compartment, left and closed both doors. I was stunned, alone in the cold, dark freezer, together with a lot of sausages hanging from the hooks. I was not afraid because I was too angry for it. In my rage, I started ripping the sausages down and then jump on them. I enjoyed the revenge thoroughly. After quite some time, asshole Sonner finally came. I thought, now he's going to kill me when he sees what I did to his damn sausages. But not so. Obviously his chess uh, partner, Middle, an expatriate refugee from Silesia, which was which the wise Hitler had lost to the Poles, had put him on a guilt trip and convinced him not to let me freeze to death. I loved these refugees and they loved me. We were both underdogs. The villagers looked down on us. We were different from a different cloth. I think that this is one of the reasons that I married Christine. She was a refugee too from Upper Silesia. They had to flee from there when the Russians came. A story of my friend Paul Feierland comes to my mind. He was from Vienna, Austria and an officer in Hitler's army. He was retreating from the Russians too. It was quite a spectacle the fleeing civilians with handcarts, children, old people, sometimes dogs. Russian tanks and airplanes coming down on them.
German units offering some weak resistance. I was so fascinated that I forgot to duck. All of a sudden I sat in the snow, looked at my hand. There was a hole in my new gloves and blood coming out of it. I could not move my legs anymore. Then I thought, now I can read my beloved astronomy books again. He walked on a cane for the rest of his life. However, the Russian doctor who had treated him after his capture had made a more dire prediction. You'll never walk again. He did, but with a lot of pain. And they, whoever they are, even named an asteroid after him. Next time, I will tell you about how I talked to my soul and could stop an evil nightmare that had made me want not to sleep anymore for a long time. This took place also at the age of seven. This nightmare and my reaction to it determined my life.